New Testament reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, through to chapter 2, verse 8. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim then, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everything perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. G'day everyone. It's nice that you're welcoming me here uh, at the moment. Everyone's in good voice, that's good. Uh, I want you to take notice of my shirt. I went out and bought this for you. So just so that you know, it's not checked. The little dots are dots, not checks, if you're looking very closely on high-resolution video somewhere or other. Uh, we have a great passage before us today. Uh, too much to say, to be honest. Uh, I could probably spend an hour on this today. Uh, we're going to spend 25 minutes on it today, but, but I could spend an hour, so that means lots of questions afterwards. That means lots of discussion afterwards. That means it should be a great time after church uh, to chew on God's Word, uh, which is what we should be doing. So let's pray. Uh, I know Mick prayed, but uh, let's pray again as we come to this passage and get into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so rich. In this part of your word, Lord, we find so many encouragements and challenges. And so we ask today that we hear them really clearly. And that we won't just sit with them, but that we'll share them with one another, challenge one another, and push each other on to maturity in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 20 years ago, I used to catch a train from Rockdale to the city every day, back and forward. In the morning, I'd read my Bible. In the afternoon, if I'm honest, I'd fall asleep, hoping the internal alarm clock would wake me up as I got to the station, which it mostly did. Sometimes I went for little tours of the Sydney rail system, uh, half asleep. Uh, back in those days, there were lots more factories along the line. If you travel that way at all, you'll remember Walleye Creek used to just be factories. Now it's all apartments. But as you go past those factories around the sort of 2000s era, up on one of the buildings where there was graffiti everywhere was this wonderful big sign, graffitied but too high for the normal adolescent graffitiists, 
some sort of Christian graffitiist had done this. It said, no Christ, no life. N-O Christ, N-O life. And then it had a second line, no Christ, no life. K-N-O Christ, K-N-O life. Now, I'd never seen that before. I know it's been on church signs for who knows how long, but I'd never seen that before. And I was struck. I thought, oh, isn't that clever? Isn't that true? Won't that shock people? Won't they be offended? If you don't know Christ, then you have no life. That's offensive. Good. People hear the gospel, repent and believe. Uh, Now, I don't know how effective that sign was in the end. It's no longer there. There's an apartment block right there now. Uh, But I think it's a wonderful truth. Uh, Whoever came up with that, whoever first did it on a church sign, well done them. And it was what we looked at last week. If you have N-O Jesus then you can't have life. That was last week, right? because of all that Jesus is. Jesus is life. Do you remember last week? He is God, creator, sustainer. The fullness of him is sustaining our whole universe. There is nothing that is not in his control. If you have a big view of Jesus, it's still not big enough. There is not a big enough view of Jesus. It's what we saw last week. Jesus is everything. So no Jesus no life. It's a wonderful, scary, challenging truth. Today we're thinking about K-N-O-W, Jesus. Know Jesus so that you, K-N-O-W, know how to live your life in Christ. Uh, I've got four headings for you. I think they're going to come up on the screen. Uh, I'll list them out so if you're a note taker, you can write notes to them. Uh, The Apostles' Ministry, our ministry. The Apostles' Fight, our fight. Pretty simple, right? You can follow that. That's easy. The Apostles' Ministry, the first heading. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 24 of chapter 1. Here's how Paul would describe his ministry for us. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, we don't want to misunderstand Paul. He is not a religious nutter. He doesn't love suffering. He's not like, oh, great, Pain for the gospel is good pain. Now, his joy and suffering in here here is because of his particular job. His suffering is for Christ's church. So what he's doing is for Jesus' church. It's, It's for us what he was doing. It fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We want to pause there because, hey, wait a minute, nothing is lacking in Christ's work, surely. And that is true. Nothing is lacking in Christ's work to save us. But after Jesus rose and returned to his father, he sent, he left for his apostles a ministry. And so Paul is suffering in his ministry as an apostle for the Colossians, but also for us. And when he's saying suffering, he really means it. He's going around telling people about Jesus, town to town to town, and he's getting beaten up. He's getting put in jail. He's writing from jail. He says he's been uh, attacked by animals. He's been shipwrecked. You name it, it happened to Paul. But he rejoices because verse 24, he's doing it for Jesus' church. Paul was a special appointment for the whole church. You see in verse 25, his appointment, he says, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but's now disclosed to the Lord's people. See, Paul and the other apostles, 
They have this particular job in history. They are the apostles called to announce the truth. It has been announced. The truths have been revealed. The, the apostles played their part so that we would have the word of God in its fullness, says verse 24. We have the big picture. We have the full plan. We have how Jesus fits into it all and is the center of it. If you want to know Christ, if you want to have a mature Christian life, then you need to know God's word. It's where it all begins. Paul was unique as an apostle, really, wasn't he? He is the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. It's, it's not politically correct to do so anymore, but who has Jewish heritage? I suspect not many. Don't put your hands up. Most of us are Gentiles, and therefore the Apostle Paul, he's our apostle. Through him, if we had time, we could sort of see how the gospel's gone out and found its way to the ends of the earth, to Sydney, Australia. Amazing. Paul's apostleship was a joyful apostleship of suffering. You see, in verse 27, he rejoices. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul thought his ministry was so worth fighting for, so worth dying for, because it's the story that all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are in Christ, that Christ is in us. This is a wonderful truth. 2,000 years ago, they would have been going, you're kidding me, we're drawn into this plan of God's. Maybe we take it for granted how we've been drawn into that today. Praise God for Paul and his ministry. I don't know if you ever do that, but praise God for Paul's ministry. But we should pause and think about Paul's particular ministry versus us. You see, Paul's was unique. Uh, if you're hoping that you can be an apostle, I'm sorry, uh, those jobs are filled, they're done, you, you can't be an apostle, okay? We don't need more apostles, so no hands up for apostles. We're all the same boat now. We're, we're followers of the teachings of the apostles. They, they got the scriptures written down for us. We follow in that line. So we're not apostles. A second, though, how do we benefit from the apostles? Well, it's this. The apostolic fathers ensured that we had the very word of God in our hands. Never take this for granted. It seems crazy that this is the very word of God, the revelation of his mystery and his plan, and we can just have it. It's yours and it's mine. Never take that for granted. Paul's suffering got that into your hands, which is a wonderful truth. Uh, thirdly, because you do have that in your hands, and I trust that means you're a Bible person and you love the Bible, and because our personal apostle was a missionary-hearted apostle, shouldn't we also be missionary-hearted Bible people? If that's our apostle, if that's what he was doing, how much more should his followers, those in his line, be the same? Taking God's words to our friends is, is helping them to see God's plan opened up. We have it here, but we still need to show the Bible to them. We need, need to speak the gospel into their lives. Our missionary, our apostle, gave us the very word of God that we might do the same things and take it to others. You know, that's why we as a church actually put in our budget, when you're reading the budget before the AGM, we put in our budget that we support missionaries. I don't know if you've seen it, but we support CMS, 
great missionary organisation. We support Bush Church Aid, uh, reaching out across Australia into rural and regional areas, and we support the MacArthur Indigenous Church, as well as local school scripture. We support that with money and with prayers because we believe the Bible has to go out to these groups. It's a wonderful thing. And so I trust and I pray that you will support that effort personally as well. One of my big prayers coming here is to try and find, with God's help, the next missionary from Campbelltown Anglican Churches. I look around and see lots of competent, equipped, ready-to-serve people. I wish I could look down the camera to see the rest of them. There are people here that could be our next missionaries that we send with CMS, that we send out with BCA. That'd be wonderful to send out our own partners in the gospel. We're already supporting these organisations and send them through those organisations. That's my prayer. I, I want it to be your prayer as well. And I want to talk to you if you're thinking mission for the long term. Back to the passage for today. So we have benefited from our apostles' unique ministry. But the next question has to be, well, well, what is our ministry? If that's his ministry, what is our ministry? So the next verse we want to look at is verse 28 of chapter 1. Look carefully with me there. It says, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, this is one of those verses you make a tapestry of. You know what that means? Maybe everyone's too young. They used to make tapestries of Bible verses and, and put it up in the kitchen or stick it on a poster or behind the toilet door or what do young people do today with gold passages that they need to remember and see all the time? Whatever you do, whatever phone thing you do, this is one to remember because this is a ministry model. This is our ministry. Did you see it? Our ministry is proclaiming Jesus. We proclaim him. We the redeemed of chapter 1 verse 14 we proclaim him it's not just we paul and his mate timothy it's it's we christians proclaim jesus that's our ministry now even as i say that some of you will be thinking okay yes evangelism some will be going yes evangelism some will be going, yes evangelism uh, however you respond to that yes evangelism but no not just evangelism evangelism and proclaiming Jesus to yourself and proclaiming Jesus to your brothers and sisters sitting next to you in church. We proclaim Jesus, but we don't limit who we proclaim Jesus to. We proclaim Jesus to everyone, like the Apostle Paul. And you see those words, how do we proclaim Jesus? It's not aimlessly, it's not kind of pointlessly, but we proclaim Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. You see what that means? Admonishing, warning, instructing, keeping people on the right path so they don't fall from the right path. One of our great challenges as Christians is sometimes we're too nice for our own good. Stick with me on that. It's nice to be nice, but it's better to be godly. It's nice to be nice, but it's better to be righteous and focused on following Jesus. Now, sometimes in the interest of being nice, we don't speak the truth. I won't ask for you to admit that, but sometimes in the interest of being nice, we won't say to a brother or sister who's, who's dating a non-believer and heading away from Jesus, don't do it, because we're nice. And we won't say to people who have stopped coming to church, you're giving up fellowship. God wants you amongst his people, because we're too nice to say that. 
Uh, Nice people don't say judgment is coming, that there is hell to pay for rejecting God and his son. Nice people assume it'll be okay. And they never say anything. It's dangerous to be nice if you're not Christianly nice. What is Christianly nice? Well, it's Ephesians 4.15. It's speaking the truth in love. See, what is truly nice is to speak the truth. In love, nicely, but speak the truth. We're to proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching. So if we're going to admonish one another, we have to hear that. We can never hold the truth from someone because we're scared that we wouldn't be nice if we tell them. Jesus wants something more of his people. The verse carries on to say we should also teach everyone with all wisdom. Uh, teaching is one of those sort of intentional things. You've got you've to want to teach. You've got to plan to teach. We're not just followers of Jesus. We're educators of Jesus to each other. And to be honest, we all have a role. There's not a single person in this room that knows everything about Jesus. We all have things to teach each other from the word about our Lord and to teach each other about living out this wonderful faith that we have. So here we have it, our ministry model. 128, proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom, so that, and here is the goal of all ministry, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's what we want. Mature Christians in Christ, rooted deeply, to use the analogy of a tree from last week. People who love Jesus and follow him. That's what we want. I like to picture that like like a line, where everyone is on a line. Go with me on this, on a line, you're moving from left to right. Uh, We've got to get left and right. Your left, my right, your left, starting down there is far from God. In fact, all humans start far from God. Separated from God, unable to walk into his presence, not perfect, but far from God. But humanity is scattered along this line. At some point, there's a conversion point. There's a Jesus is my Lord, there's a repent and believe moment in their life. Down here is Jesus, far to the right. Jesus perfect and holy and righteous and and who we want everyone to aspire to be mature in, to be like him. So imagine this big line running across the church building in front of your eyes you can imagine your ministry is that all of your friends, all of your family, all the people you know are somewhere along that spectrum. They're somewhere. And ministry is to say, what can I do under God to see that person take a next step and a next step and a next step? There's obviously a big step somewhere. This is the middle of the room, I think, perfectly. There's a big step here. Know Jesus as your Lord. But even for people who are not yet Christian, there's a next step. There's a hearing the gospel for the first time. There's a welcome into Christian fellowship and friendship. There's a, there's a many next little steps. For somebody who's not yet a Christian, the next step is not be more moral. Don't teach Christian moralism to non-Christians, okay? Teach them about Jesus. That's the next step. Ultimately, they need Jesus, not be nice to fit into the community. No, no, meet Jesus and the outworking of that once you cross the salvation line is... God changes our character. But even for Christians, as you pray, what's the next step for my friend? The next step for me? The next step isn't about being nicer, it's about being holier, godlier, more generous like Jesus, more more honest like Jesus. It's character stuff. It's deep character stuff. It's not outworkings outside that you can see. It's deep inside that flows into outworkings. 
Colossians 1.28 is this wonderfully simple ministry model. What's the next step for everyone you know? And so the practical thing you can do is to think of your friends, think of your family, and pray for a next step for each of them. What is the next step for your loved friend, for your brother or sister in Christ, whoever it is? Well, that's our ministry. Uh, then it goes on, it turns out, heading three, the apostles fight. Turns out, ministry is not easy. Who would have thought? Who would have thought ministry is hard? Shouldn't it be glorious and easy? Well, Paul, verse 29, he proclaims Christ. He seeks to move people across this line, along the line. And verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend. See, he fights. That's what strenuous contending is. It's a fight. It's hard. He contends with all the energy that Christ powerfully works in him. He toils and he struggles for the sake of the gospel. He goes on in verse 1 of chapter 2, talking to to the church he's writing to, Colossians. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, the next town, and for all who have not met me personally. He's contending. Uh, The contending word for the Greeks is like the Olympic wrestling word. It's a a competition. It's boxing. It's running around a circuit. It's the marathon. All the ancient Olympics, that's what they're thinking. It's gladiators in an arena. It's contending. It's fighting for the gospel. And there is a prize for Paul. The prize is maturity in Christ. That's what he's saying. You might say that verses 2 and 3 are summarizing what maturity looks like. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Paul's ministry, Paul's battle, is to see people mature in Jesus. Now, that is a glorious fight to be involved in, and that is not just Paul's fight. That is our fight too. Where does our strength come from such, for such a hard battle? Well, 129, it tells us, it comes with all the energy of Christ in you. See, none of us on our own are equipped, are strong enough, are powerful enough, have all the skills and all we need to do ministry. Not at all. We need the strength of Christ, the energy he gives, which I think means that you first have to be convinced he is Lord. If you're not convinced of that, you have none of the energy of the gospel. And you need to be completely convinced and then aware of your own weakness and your own dependence on Christ to use you and to equip you and to fight. You need to be aware we have these weapons to battle with, We heard in the video before, the weapons of the word, of of the prayer, of the spirit, of fellowship. These weapons that Christ has given energize us, empower our ministry. You can be assured Jesus has your back, like he had the apostles' back. But he's given us particular ways to fight. Which brings us to our final heading today, and our fight. We're not the apostles, so what is our fight? I'm glad you asked. You didn't really ask, but I'm hoping you're with me. Stay with me. I'm hoping in your mind, well, what's my fight? What's my fight in the gospel? 2.4 says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There's a hint of a fight. And verse 8, 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, not on Christ. Uh, Do you hear that? Our fight for Christian maturity is against Satan's plans, is against the worldly plans to tear down the church, Satan's spiritual attempts to take down Jesus' people. We are in a fight. Read Ephesians 6 sometimes and see how it says, stand, stand, stand in this battle that we're in. In Colossae, the particular fight was with Greek culture, with the philosophers, with, with those sort of ideas of the day, and the fight with debauchery, which was just natural to the lifestyle of living in Colossae. Strangely, 2,000 years later, has it really changed? Our, our fight today is with the philosophies of this world. They've got different names. They're not based on Plato so much anymore, but they're still human philosophies. And the fight that we have today is still with debauchery. It's just been privatised and personalised and is accessible easily and nobody has to know. In Rome, the emperor loved to put on games. He loved contests because it soothed the masses. He called it the opiate of the masses. Put on games and the people are just calm. They've got something to do. Well, how about putting on Netflix? Putting on wine and drinks? putting on parties, putting on fake book, I mean Facebook. (laughs) Don't they just perpetuate the opiates of the masses? It stops you from thinking about what life can truly be around. They're distractions. We have to fight against them so they don't overtake us. We are in a fight. Don't get it wrong. We're in a fight, and the way to fight is in verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, be rooted and built up in Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The way we fight is to keep going like we started. That seems obvious, but it's the challenge. To push on to maturity means to be as excited about Jesus as you were at the start, that saw you converted, all the way to the very end. To know Jesus is to know how life should be lived. I want to finish by making it quite concrete for us today. Because one way you could hear me today is to say, okay, okay, well, if I keep coming to church and I'm in a growth group, and if once in a blue moon I talk to my neighbour over the back fence and say, I'm I'm off to church tomorrow, tick. It's kind of a tick, tick, tick. Good. I'm maturing. I'm on that line. I'm taking my next steps. It's it's all taken care of. Uh, I want to call that the have your cake and eat it too approach to Christianity. See, you're doing the things and people can see you're doing the things that are good for you. But is it just as Christ, you first saw him, that you're continuing on? Or is it you're doing the things that everyone expects of a Christian to do? That's a hard question. It's dangerous to think, what is the minimum I have to do to be a part of the Christian life? That's a danger. Because that's not how you mature. The way you receive Christ, carry on in him. You receive Christ by radically overturning everything in your life. That's the way you carry on in him. And the place where the rubber hits the road in the Christian life, I think, is the area of service. In fact, the video was well teed up to match up with that. Remember Mark 10, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and he held nothing back for humanity. So it stands to reason that the path to maturity is 
to be like him, to hold nothing back on your way to maturity, to serve, to be other person-centered, to, to pay the costly price of following your Lord. And it was great to hear Alex recognize that connection in his interview, because it is true. And over the years, I think I can say the mark of maturity, the observable mark of maturity is costly self-sacrifice. When you people see people get the gospel and then give up something for the sake of the gospel, you know they love Jesus. I'll give you two examples to make that point. The positive one is kids' ministry, when you don't have kids. Kids' ministry when you don't have kids. Kids' ministry, if you've never done it before, is hard because it's every week. It's like turning a handle. You've got to come up with stuff for these kids and keep them engaged and disciplined every week. But it's wonderful. It's a joy. And it's so wonderful to see people who don't benefit directly People whose kids aren't in our kids' ministry serving us. Praise God for that servant-heartedness. There is one positive example. The negative example is the opposite end of the spectrum. When people get caught up in debilitating sin, I'm going to pick pornography addiction because I've seen it too much and I don't think I can speak enough about it, to be honest. Pornography addiction. The Bible says flee sexual immorality. And every time I've sat down with someone to work through sexual immorality with them, it turns out that the sexual immorality has not only turned them from God, it's turned them into themselves. It's self-focused, it's self-pleasure, it's all about me. It's the opposite of the other example, which is all about other people. And so often the way out for people who have actually moved beyond this debilitating sin after repenting and believing is to learn to serve. Serving is the antidote. Other people, serving and loving other people is the antidote. Fill your life up, I say, with good things for the Lord that cost you. Instead of shutting your door and hiding away and enjoying sin and all it is for you. Christians who do that, who get other person's sedentness, recover. I mention the extremes really to make it personal. Imagine if your maturity was measured by the metric of sacrificial service imagine we're not going to do this but imagine how would you go if jesus said your sacrificial service indicates your maturity i think i'd find it a challenge but it's a clear indicator maybe you'd find it a challenge too i don't want to list out all the ways that you could serve in the life of church and outside of church in the kingdom for all sorts of different reasons but I think Alex was right, his 20%, 80% thing. Uh, I would love to see in church life that 100% of the service opportunities are done by 100% of the people who love Jesus. That's right, isn't it? And then when we do that, all of those people have capacity to be evangelists and, and to be running different things in the community, to be engaged. If everybody is shoulder to shoulder for the Lord, that would show a mature church. So I'm really keen to see a mature church on display, if you like. I haven't been long enough here to even guess at what the ratios might be. 80-20, who knows? Maybe it is 100-100. Still, I'm still working it all out. But my challenge to you is, if maturity can be shown through your service and your, your self-sacrificial service, then how's your service going? And are you being creative in the way you can serve the Lord thinking carefully about it, planning to serve 
And there are all sorts of ways to do so. And as I said, I'm not going to list out the ways today, but I'd love to talk to you about the gospel heart of service, if you'd love to talk to me about that too. And so as I wrap up today, and really we're focused on the no Jesus, no life, maturity dimension of it today, there are lots of ways that we can all benefit one another, that we can all do what the Apostle Paul says, proclaim Jesus to each other. So here's my prayer. I pray for a prayer full of people energised by Christ, energised to fight the good fight, energised to speak the truth, energised to move people to the right. Not because we've got the energy, but because Christ gives us the energy for it. Full of people who, who want to be mature and are wholeheartedly serving others to see them mature as well. That would be a church, like verse 7, rooted and built up in Jesus, established in the faith, and then overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. That would be a joyful church. That's our church. That's a picture of what we are now and what we could be in all its fullness. That's our prayer. Let's pray for it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might do a mighty work in and through us, bringing us to maturity. We pray that through the Lord Jesus, his example, and what he's done for us in saving us, we would be energised for the good fight, for the kingdom, for maturity, and for following in your footsteps, taking up our cross day by day. Lord, we praise you for the great joy it is to be a Christian. And we pray that our joy at that would overflow in thankfulness, amongst each other and in the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.